Snescapades, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo Library with a few pit stops along the way. We play them briefly, judge them harshly, and rank them. That is pretty much all you need to know. I am C. Punkling. I am Emmy Zero, and today we have got uh, another Playing With Power episode for y'all out there. We're going to be talking about the May 1993 Nintendo Power issue. Batman Returns on the cover. The Bat, the Cat, the Penguin is how they've decided to subtitle that on the cover here. A little awkward. I I think they kind of just didn't know what to do there. I'm excited for this one. I feel like we ended up a little bit disappointed with the last issue, but I think there's some good stuff in here that I'm I'm excited. I'm looking forward to talking about. I think this is a, a return to form for Nintendo Power, for the Star Fox comic for uh, quite a few things. And also, we'll be handing out some nesters today. Oh, I'm excited for that, for sure. And of course, they waited 20 some odd years to hand them out. And and they decided to wait until two podcasters showed up to talk about the magazine in order to do that. Yeah. At the time, people were like, what's a podcast? And they were like, just wait. Your kids will love it. It's going to be real popular on the internet. And everyone was like, what's the internet? And, you know, it, it just it just evolved from there. It was like one big Beverly Hillbillies gag that, you know, wasn't very funny. Just went on and on forever. Ugh. But anyway, before we get into any of that, uh, we have got to throw things over to our old friend Newsy, who's going to tell us what was going on in uh, May of 1993. It's May 1993. Cliffhanger hits theaters, and though it's out-earned by the movie Dave in May, it will end up grossing over $84 million. Silk enjoys two weeks at the top of the charts with the song Freak Me before losing the top spot to Janet Jackson's That's the Way Love Goes, which will remain at number one for two months. And The Wonder Years concludes its sixth and final season on ABC with the series finale airing on the 12th. Back to you, Emmy Zero and Steampunk Link. Thank you, Newsy. And um, not a lot of news going on in May of 1993 that wasn't a complete and total bummer. So uh, we all decided, uh, the three of us, Newsy included, decided, you know, hey, we'll just uh, mention that this was the last uh, Wonder Years episode. It's funny. The Wonder Years is not a show I've ever seen really much of any of. Really? I just missed it, you know? But uh, I've seen tons of parodies of The Wonder Years. <laughs> any other show with, like, kind of an arch sense of humor, I think at some point did a Wonder Years parody. The Simpsons definitely did it. I understand via cultural osmosis. Uh, it has that bad cover of that Beatles song as the theme song for it, I know. It's funny, though, it, like, evidently, this show only ran for, like, six years. I, th- I assumed it ran for longer than that. That, but I, I guess that's just because it's such an iconic show. I mean, it was an iconic show, but also you say only six years. I mean, that's a pretty good run for a TV show, really. Absolutely. And obviously it couldn't have run for that that long because eventually the kid would have been a grown up and that's not a thing they could let happen. So I think there was probably an expiration date built into that show right from the start. There absolutely was. And and I think like the last episode actually had like he had just graduated from high school and, and Kevin Arnold and his friend Winnie getting into a fight, coming back together and, and sort of exploring their relationship. But we find out from his future self narration done by uh, uh, Daniel Stern. Oh, yeah. That um, they don't end up together. And you know what? I kind of like that. I'm glad about that. Even though I I don't know the show very well, I don't really like things where people like end up with their like high school sweetheart or like childhood crush, you know, like grow as people. Exactly. Yeah. You know, they acknowledge that people go other places and grow up and aren't 
always the same people at the end of it. But, you know, they, they talk about how the two of them stayed friends, uh, even though, you know, they, they didn't end up uh, getting married or having a family together. I think that was a cool idea. I think Wonder Years is a really great show. Maybe things that don't hold up quite as well. Uh, Cliffhanger, I guess, um, happened in this month. And uh, do people like that movie? I don't know if they like it. I think there's some very funny images from it, like unintentionally funny images of like Sylvester Stallone, like straining to get up a mountaintop. Stallone made a lot of action movies in the 90s. And like most of them are not well remembered in any way. I've never seen this one. But from from what I understand, this is a movie in which Sylvester Stallone is a cliffhanger. And he is going up against uh, a, a Russian cliffhanger. Like there's, there's this Russian cliffhanger who's like, I'm a better cliffhanger than you. And he's like, oh, no, you're not. And so like they're they're competing in cliffhanging events against each other. And also like the Russian cliffhanger, I believe, kills his black friend and mentor who used to be his rival cliffhanger. Uh, but, you know, he, he kills him. So now it's personal. And so, like, he's got to be the best cliffhanger ever and also show that, you know, the United States has the best cliffhangers, which for some reason means capitalism is better than communism. Yeah, that sounds like an extremely accurate description of that movie and the things that definitely happened in it. Uh, really, I probably should have had a spoiler warning there, but, you know, and I guess uh, Dave happened that uh, month as well. I had never even heard of this movie. <laughs> I saw that movie a lot as a kid because my uh, my dad was a really big fan of it. And um, it's a very charming movie that I think would be extremely difficult to return to now. It's sort of a, a fantasy about American politics. Just to sum it up briefly, there is a guy, uh, a really, a really good, smart guy named Dave who looks exactly like the president. He gets hired to impersonate the president, and the president falls into a coma after a stroke. So everyone involved decides the best idea is for him to just pretend he is the president. And uh, then he basically fixes American politics because he's untainted by all of the, the dirty things you have to do to get to president. He just gets dropped into the role, and he is uh, so smart and so good-natured that he uh, he just fixes everything. There are issues with that premise, I think, that are ever more apparent as time goes on. It's the same problem where there's this sort of, you know, I guess kind of liberal idea that the United States is really just a few good people, a few good politicians away from, from riding the ship. And that, you know, the, the system itself totally isn't the problem. Right, right, right. Yeah. Hey, that was your serious segment for today, folks. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, you know what? Um, while we're on serious stuff really fast, uh, this is going up in June. I don't know how many more podcasts that we're going to do that go up in June because we do these so far in advance now. But happy Pride, everybody. Happy Pride. Hope that the month is treating you well. I hope that if you have decided to... Um, participate in any pride events that uh everything is being conducted safely and uh and carefully so as to make sure everyone has a good time and does not put themselves in in any kind of danger from covid or anything and of course no kink because we can't have that at pride oh god we definitely needed to, to have our opinions on that right yeah right yeah no but seriously kink is fine there should probably be some areas that are more family friendly but like kink is, is is fine and, and very important actually so just in case anybody uh mistook what i said there for my actual opinion <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, also some songs happened. Do we need to talk about them? Not really. I mean, they're they're fine. I know both of them, but they're there's. I, I don't really have anything to say about them. I will try not to sing out of key. 
I'm going to talk a little bit more about this cover for the magazine. Because it's sort of a strange image to me. It's got effectively just like a photograph of Michael Keaton's Batman in the costume, uh, front and center. But behind him is some vague cityscape with concept art of the penguin kind of hovering in the background over it. Like very much more like illustrative stuff in the background. And like, um, it's a it's an odd image to to, you know, start the magazine with, I think. It is. I think, like, maybe it's meant to be suggesting, like, a campaign poster or something. Yeah, that's probably it, actually. Uh, That, I guess, would make sense. It's been a little while since I've seen the movie, so I can't remember if that poster is literally in the movie, but it it looks like something that should be. I don't know if that is, like, any kind of conceptual art from, like, an official Batman Returns thing, or if this was... You know, again, done by, um, you know, some of the folks that they had commissioning for a lot of their covers back then. There's a guy, Art of NP, Art of Nintendo Power. He's got a really cool uh, YouTube show. He, he's he got a lot of really cool, like, original pieces of Nintendo Power art. Like, he's got mm, a lot cool. of framed covers. He's got a lot of props that were used in some of those older covers that had, like, all the models and everything. Um, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, he's got some really neat stuff, and he knows way more about that stuff than I do. So if you want to know more about Nintendo Power covers, I would say go check out his stuff. Oh, what do you say we dive right into the magazine here? Yeah, let's crack open this this magazine, and we've got the advertisement for the magazine itself with the, the Nintendo Power supplies. Yep. Uh, of which I still have some. I've got a lot of pogs. This advertising campaign that they were doing around this time had like this very, you know, 1950s kind of look to it. It's it's cute. It is cute. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, we have the ad for just the fact that there are sports games on Nintendo systems. I think the same ad was in the last couple of them. No need to, to really belabor the point there. But, oh, boy, it does feel a little sweaty. Uh, it feels like, uh, oh, please play sports games on, on the Super Nintendo. I mean, I don't know if it. It's that as much as it's like Nintendo trying to say like, hey, this is the system to come to for sports. This is the thing. There absolutely was a market for them. But I think that definitely at the time there was a perception that there were better sports games on the Genesis. You know, I think that, you know, it is them trying to kind of balance the scales there in their own favor, which, you know, there's some okay sports games on the Super Nintendo. Like if you just had a Super Nintendo as a kid and you did want sports games, there were options there that would make you happy. So, you know, fair enough. And and some of them are, in fact, uh, quite high up on our list, really. Uh, Indeed. Yeah. And we will be talking more about sports later on in this issue. We sure will. Uh, but first, Nintendo Power, I guess, sent out a call to everybody saying like, hey, what would you like to see as uh, prizes for players poll contests and stuff about snowboarding in there and something about engaging in a dogfight? That one, I think, would be uh, a bad idea uh, from a legal standpoint. But, uh, you know, it's like, hey, literally aim for the sky, kid, I guess, you know. I- ironically, their response to that was, uh, we don't like the idea, but our legal department really wants us to do it. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's actually a very funny response. I like that a lot. Mario Kart, Star Trek, you know, you know hey, I, I like Mario Kart and Star Trek. Those are things I enjoy. Yeah, totally. Gail Tilden used her editor-in-chief column to talk about how to safely and cleanly remove decals from controllers and Game Boys. She sure did, yeah. An interesting use of that space, <laughs> but all right. And uh, we have our, our contest winner here, kid who got to, it looks like, take a, uh, a trip and participate in like a, 
like a murder mystery dinner party sort of thing. Kids, before we had escape rooms, we did murder mystery dinner parties. And uh, this one, it looks like, was specifically clue themed, which seems like a fun idea that I'm I'm surprised that uh, hasn't been sort of jumped on more. I also feel like you've technically done this if you've had a game night where you played Clue and had dinner together. True, <laughs> true, yeah. The thing here is that this one seemingly had, like, actors playing all of the parts and actually, like, pretending to be those characters. So, you know, more of, like, an immersive theater thing for, like, uh, you know, the contest winner, I guess. What if they got the cast of the movie Clue to do that? Oh, that would really be something. Uh, especially since I am pretty sure that Michael McKeon would have just not been into it. <laughs> yeah, whatever. I'm here. I don't know. That seems like a fun one, though. That seems like a fun time that kid had. Yeah. And speaking of fun... We, uh, we turn the page, and we are talking about some Lost Vikings, which, in my opinion, probably should have been the cover of this magazine, but because Batman is Batman, you know. There are actually a couple of games in here that I think were more worthy of the cover. Given that it is a Super Nintendo game, and they were really trying to push the Super Nintendo at this point, the Lost Vikings probably makes the most sense. They do give it kind of pride of place as like the first game to get a big spotlight here, but it's understandable that, that Batman would get the cover, but I'm not sure it really deserved it either. They got upstaged by Michael Keaton's Batman, kind of like how they got maybe a little bit upstaged by Tom and Jerry in our last episode, because we spent so long talking about Tom and Jerry. Yeah, those media properties, man. Those media properties. Yeah, there was just so much history to go into. So I'm, I'm not sure if, if we really got to give The Lost Vikings its due, but, you know, obviously we think really highly of it. Made our top 10. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I was thinking more about it. And I, I, th I think one of the things that impresses me the most about the Lost Vikings is that on paper, this shouldn't work. This sounds like a bad idea. It's like, hey, what if you had a, a Viking who's really tough and can jump and run and, and hit things with the sword and, and block things with a shield? But instead of one Viking, it's you have those abilities spread out over three Vikings that you control individually. Like, that sounds like a bad idea, doesn't it? And yet... Yeah, real good. No, absolutely right. It is it is a hundred percent something that could have fallen down horribly on execution, but instead it is great. The fact that it is kind of a tricky concept that has been done so well actually makes it a better game than if it was just a good traditional action game in its own way. It's cool to see ambition pay off like that for sure. We are treated to some uh, drawings here of the three Vikings, Olaf, Balog, Bal Balog, and Eric. Maybe this was clearer in like the instruction manual, but I didn't get it from the game at all. Is that apparently they're brothers? That uh, they mentioned that a bunch of times in this write up here, which I oh. did not realize. But apparently, they're three Viking brothers. I I did not get that either, and um, I don't know if it's really all that important to the story, really. Yeah, definitely not. So we were talking a little bit about this before, uh, and I think you're right that the art of them here is probably a Nintendo Power original art and not something they got from Silicon and Synapse, because there are some kind of off-model things about them. It's hard to tell, because... It is really, really close. And I mean, either way, these are really great looking illustrations. The big thing for me was Olaf, like his beard looks a little bit off model from what it is in the header image. But yeah, also, I think part of the thing is that like one side of his beard is being blocked by Balog's fist. 
Oh, yeah, you're right, actually. Because his beard is in, in this this image, uh, you can really clearly see that his beard is in, like, two sort of, like, strands. It's in, like, two, like, ponytails, essentially. Right. And that's not as clear from the box art. But I think you're right that, like, his, his uh, the like, the whole, like, right side of his beard is just being blocked by another character. So, yeah, I, I can't really tell. It, it looks pretty on model, but, you know... It, it could also just be a very good approximation of the characters from the concept art that they had available to them. So if it is, you know, one of Nintendo Powers artists that um, that did these, um, then, you know, bravo. It, it, they, I can't tell the difference. And uh, if it is, you know, official art, then, hey, it still looks great. Yeah. And I think this is a, this is a good feature just overall. Like, I think this is, does a good job of kind of what we want to see Nintendo Power do from these features, especially with a game that's, like, a little bit more mechanically ambitious, which is to kind of give you, like, a taste of, like, how this game actually works and why it would be fun to play. So we've got this nice grid showing kind of all of the different moves that the different Vikings can do. And then as we turn the page, uh, we have walkthroughs of several levels kind of scattered throughout the game that are kind of step-by-step -step guides to how to how to use the Vikings to get through the level. Yeah, I think it's interesting here that they didn't just go with like the first couple levels, but instead kind of take just a random assortment. It really feels like they are trying to present what in the video game industry you might call a vertical slice to really display, you know, a, a different parts of the game. And I, I think it's a cool idea. So one thing I don't really get here is they've put like a difficulty level note at the top of each of the, the stages here. Like there's a slider that shows where this particular level is on a spectrum between easy and hard. And the first couple levels start off with the the arrow like dead in the middle between easy and hard. And then for some reason, the levels they're showing from kind of the middle of the game have the difficulty slider way over to easy. And it's like, is this a mistake? Like, is this... Or are they actually implying that there are some very easy, just chill levels right in the middle of the thing here? Judging from the Norseman on the Nile map, it looks very small and very linear and straightforward. So, I mean... That is true, actually. So, yeah, I guess maybe that's right. I could see them kind of varying up the difficulty in that way. Like, you know, this is a more just figure out your way around the obstacles rather than navigating a maze and, and finding the items that you need to progress. Um, you know, kind of mixing it up a bit. And, uh, yeah, and they basically tried to spotlight one level from each of the different kind of environments in the game so you know we have the spaceship we have the prehistoric forest the pyramid the sweatshop wonderland and then back to the spaceship again for the very end of the game with the presumably the hardest levels i like this though this is a good format to i mean it wouldn't work for most games but for this it's, it's very well suited for it. yeah um cool feature for a great game guess it's uh it's sports time yeah it sure is uh so we've got the sports pages here i know we've looked at sports pages before in this magazine have they been doing this every issue i don't think they've been doing it every issue but every few issues they do kind of a roundup because like 
you know, as we discovered when we were going through these games for our show, uh, there's often just not that much to say about a lot of sports games, and a lot of times it's better to just sort of compare them against each other than to try to get really granular about, like, every aspect of these games, because there's, you know, just things that are the same across a lot of them. I will say the person or, or possibly the, the people writing this section seem to have had a little bit of a freer hand uh, in being able to discuss the problems with some of these games than you see throughout other parts of the magazine. Because, yeah, they go kind of hard on a few of these here. There's also just like some little flavor stuff like, uh, you know, I guess a supposedly like letter from the editor kind of thing to lead off the segment by... Thorough D ball. <laughs> which, uh, do you remember when Game Informer would do those Game Enforcer things for April Fools? Yeah. It feels kind of like that, but less clever. Yeah. Definitely in this this letter from the editor here, Thoreau D. Ball's uh, buddy that he's talking about seems to have some real problems and, and maybe should seek some counseling. What are you talking about? His friend just needs a good thrashing on the Super Nintendo. Yeah. We talk a little bit about some NBA games here on the on the first two pages. I think games that we've already discussed although I, I don't know they all tend to blur together it's hard to keep track of them honestly the only game i know for sure we've discussed here is uh is is american gladiators which gets its own little little sidebar on the next page have we done our basketball episode for 1993 yet i don't remember i thought we had but i don't really recognize any of these games that they're talking about here so they sure do not seem to like the uh, Magic Johnson Super Slam Dunk basketball game, though. Yeah, uh, here in bold, the only truly outstanding aspect of the game is the play-by-play -play digitized voice, which I feel like we would remember that. That's a pretty impressive feat for the Super NES. I don't even see a Magic Johnson branded basketball game on my list anywhere. Th did this even come out? It's a good question. Maybe it did not. That's entirely possible. Uh, I mean, it doesn't seem like it was quite ready for prime time based on what they're saying about it here. So, okay, well, folks, um, if, if I find out after the fact, then there'll be a little sidebar here that you'll be listening to. And here is that sidebar. This game did, in fact, come out. Magic Johnson is one of the commentators, but his name is not actually on the title, as was suggested in the magazine headline. It's just called Super Slam Dunk, and it came out in July of 1993, so I somehow missed this one. We'll probably just slot it into a regular episode when we get to July, so, uh, yeah. Sorry for the inconvenience. We get uh, American Gladiators. We also get the obvious American Gladiators joke that, hey, those pugil sticks sure look like giant Q-tips, don't they, they? They sure do. I also like that very rough drawing of a muscly guy holding a Q-tip. That's fine, yeah. We got some car sports yep. happening there. That's Drive to the Duel and Battle Grand Prix, which I know we've done that. And we were not impressed. No, we weren't. And then we move on to football. Yep, we sure do. Uh, I don't know if we've gotten to football yet this year. Uh, no, no, we have not. I don't know if I see anything called Feel the... Is, is that just the headline? Maybe it's just the headline. It's just the uh, the headline. This one is called High Super High Impact. And yeah, they've got various things to say about these football games. 
Uh, once again, not super positive about most of them. I, I mean, probably for good reason. <laughs> I mean, you know, we, we've had some sports games that we've thought pretty highly of on the system, but for the most part, eh, I don't know if many of them translate well. It's a very mixed bag, because I think that a lot of them are either relying on already established gameplay mechanics that maybe aren't great, but they're functional, or they're, you know, banking on the fact that they have the license for something, so a lot of people are just going to play it. It's tough for us, and it clearly was tough for Nintendo Power as well. So they did their best with it, uh, with addressing a, a decent segment of the market. But yeah, ultimately, I don't know that there was a ton to say about most of these. We'll get out of the, the sports pages here. We turn the page, and we've got Shadowrun. I'm going to just say up front, I think this article does a very bad job of explaining the concept of Shadowrun. I don't know how much that matters, but I do think that the fact that they have chosen to, uh, I don't know, just jump right into things without kind of explaining like the basic concept of this world makes some of the, the later parts of this article very confusing. Well, I don't know. I mean, they, they talk about right here, it's based on a role-playing game. We're in Seattle, circa 2050. Cyberpunk things are happening, probably because Jeff Bezos has taken over Seattle completely by this point. Well, like, the big thing they don't mention here is that magic exists. There's, like, orcs and elves and shit in the Shadowrun world. There is cyberpunk stuff, but also, like, fantasy elements reemerged into reality at a certain point, which is why everything is so messed up. There's like all kinds of, like when they talk later about like the magic you have access to, they're not using that as like a euphemism for like high tech stuff. You literally can do magic in this, in this setting. I totally thought this was like a situation in which you go into like some virtual reality space and there's like a virtual world. No, that is not what this this setting is about. I mean, there is there there is like a virtual reality world, but none of this stuff here is 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 dependent on that to exist. Sorry. So do the fantasy creatures like orcs and all that, have they always existed alongside with humans in this version of the world? No. OK, so this is what it is, actually, I think. Basically, there was some kind of, like, rupture in reality that caused these sort of, like, latent secret fantasy elements of the world to reemerge into, like, the public consciousness. Okay. One of the cool things in, uh, like, the, the Shadowrun games, like, the, the computer games that were made just in this last decade, is the concept of dragons running corporations. Dragons are these immortal beings that love to, like, kind of... Uh, hoard wealth to themselves. So of course they would be the perfect beings to be in charge of giant, massive corporations. You know, it's stuff like that where like you do have very traditional cyberpunk stuff, but it is all filtered through this fantasy lens as well. But yeah, none of that is at all explained in this thing about the Super Nintendo Shadowrun game. I wonder if they just assume, you know, like, look, if somebody who's going to want a Shadowrun game already knows what this is. But, yeah, right. But yeah, I think they could have done a better job of... Um, Maybe explaining the world, maybe trying to get some new people in there. I don't know. Uh, Kami J, so for it, uh, the Weekly Cooldown podcast, if we've completely botched this, please uh, feel free to come on the show. Set us straight about what 
is Shadowrun. But yeah, otherwise, this is a pretty good feature on Shadowrun. It's got some very 1990s looking comic book art, basically, of the guy you play as in the Shadowrun game, who kind of just looks like a little bit more like teched up version of like Duke Nukem or something. Yeah, <laughs> yes. He's very Duke Nukem. He's, he's Duke Nukem with a blue lab coat for some reason. What we have here is kind of like the Lost Vikings. We have a kind of explanation of some of the basic gameplay concepts. Things like talk to strangers to get keywords that you can use in other conversations. Go to your apartment and sleep to save your game. And then after that, uh, we kind of jump into some walkthroughs of parts of the game, which are pretty good walkthroughs, but I don't think this game's graphics seem to lend themselves very well to this kind of presentation. I will say I'm very curious to see how this game plays, because it definitely sounds like something pretty different from... Uh, a lot of the stuff that we've seen on the system uh, recently. It's, it's one of those very different RPGs that I think has a chance to really stand out. So this world is basically like a, a bright situation, yeah? Yeah, it's like a bright situation, but not not terrible. <laughs> is Will Smith going to come in and tell me that uh, fairy lives don't matter today? Oh, man, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> that's a secret ending. <laughs> Anyway, uh, now we get into Batman Returns. Remember Batman? He's returned in Pog form. No, uh, probably true as well. Actually, yeah, it was, it was almost that time. It was almost that time. There, oh, there were definitely Batman uh, Forever Pogs. I'm sure. Oh, almost certainly. Yeah, we talked about this one quite a while ago. I, I think we kind of liked the brawling, but then it went into some weird 2D platforming things that I, I don't think worked quite as well. It, it did kind of feel like one of those games that was like artificially hard so that you can't just blow through it during a weekend rental. I don't know if I've got much to say about Batman. Nope. We got a grid here that has all of the enemies listed on it. Really does bring into sharp relief the fact that uh, there are not that many enemy types in this game. There are four different things called thin clowns, two fat clowns, a fire clown, a tall clown, and uh, then, oh, and a bazooka clown. And then just a couple other things that are, are you know, uh, like circus performers. So tag yourself. I'm fat clown number two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sword swallower. <laughs> uh, but they're really high on this game here. I don't know how much of that is them just genuinely really liking it and how much of it is, well, this is a huge media property with an exclusive Super Nintendo game. So we're going to promote the hell out of it. They're going to be like, hey, they gave us movie stills, so we're going to use those. And if you're a fan of black to dark blue gradients this section has that as its background i feel like they really tried super hard with the the art design for this section of the magazine also is it weird to you like they have stitched together a bunch of screenshots to show like a full level of of the game but like these levels they're showing are just like straight like corridors like there's no reason to do this with this game i mean they do still have you know like little points of interest where you know they say like hey at this part of the level this is gonna happen so watch out for that or do this so i mean i i don't know it, that's true that's fair and they do point out like where which types of enemies you're going to be fighting at various points throughout the level and you know where the power-ups and stuff are so you're right you're right I just uh, I just think it's kind of funny. It's like, yep, here's a, a long 
street that Batman is going to walk down. This sure is a street. There sure are a lot of um, 35 mile an hour signs in the foreground <laughs> for some reason. It's based on a movie. It exists to, you know, say, hey, you know that movie you like? Here's stuff about it. And, you know, I mean, that's basically why the game exists as well. Nah, that's true. They do talk a little bit about the the driving section here. The, there's a part later on in the game where you drive the Batmobile and they really hype that part up. I mean, if it's anything like the driving the Batmobile in uh, Arkham Knights, uh, I probably hate it. Everyone's favorite part of that game, driving the Batmobile. Speaking of things that aren't very good, uh, Bubsy in yep. Claw's Encounter of the Furred Kind. It's the Bubster. Uh, that's our poster for this month. A full-on image of Bubsy running with some yarn under his his arm like a football. Bubsy the Bobcat. Why are things with Bobcats always bad? Like, you got Bubsy, you got Bonkers. It's like somebody out there thinks, oh yeah, this will make a fun, a fun character. And then it's just a curse for whatever the property is. The Bobcat badge in Cub Scouts. Like, you basically just get that for showing up. It's the white belt of Cub Scout patches. So nobody cares. And uh, Bubsy, he's going to be showing up pretty soon on the Super Nintendo. Was there a time when Bubsy was all right? I think people in general seem to think the original Bubsy is okay. Like, not good, not bad, just fine. And then they made a bunch of sequels, and those are frequently very bad. Like, I know there's one that was exclusive to the, to the Atari Jaguar. It is one of the most infuriatingly, like, maze-like platformers I've ever seen. Well, like, they, they brought it back in, like, the last five years, right? They sure did, yeah. Nobody liked that game. They made two. They made two games recently in the last five years, and they were bad. And, of course, we, we kind of skipped over it, but Bubsy 3D is notoriously one of the worst 3D platform games of all time. So much bad stuff has happened around Bubsy that I almost forgot the one of the worst games in existence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, speaking of things that I don't know if, if they needed to come back, um, we still have Nestor's Adventures. Yep, he's doing a Battletech thing this time, a Mech Warrior thing, I guess. The joke is that everybody's talking about how they kept their mechs from overheating and he poured a lot of sunscreen on his. Yeah, it's a bad joke. It doesn't look good. Like, it's like, a, without them explaining what that last image is, I would not be able to understand what the giant mech covered in goo is. I, I thought he frosted it over somehow until I read the panel. It looks like ice. I feel like if your comic strip, which is a visual medium, needs to use the text to explain what the image is even mean you probably have not done a great job with it i don't like being so negative because i know somebody probably worked really hard on these comics but yeah but boy i sure do not like these comics no i i don't either i feel bad being so mean but i also just like i really just dislike these and i can't help myself i mean i i just i don't enjoy these comics at all yeah by the time the n64 comes around nestor will not be the mascot anymore so i don't know how much longer we're going to have to endure nestor but speaking of which we're gonna hand out some nesters that's right <laughs> i forgot that's literally the next thing in the, the magazine he may be a, a horrible little jerk but uh you know he sure is gonna give out some awards with his face on him here we go. It's the 1992 Nestor Awards. And I mean, again, because he won't be the mascot for all that much longer, I do have to wonder, is this going to be the last Nestor's? Is it just going to be the Nintendo Power Awards next year? Or, or do we still have another year of this? I, 
I don't know. With bated breath, I wait to see how much longer Nestor can hold on for here. <laughs> We've got our categories here, so I'm not going to go through all of them for the Game Boy and NES, just because, you know, I mean, these... These playing with power episodes tend to go long enough. Yeah. But I figured just to refresh everybody's memory here, I do have in my notes all of the uh, nominees for each category. So for graphics and sound on the Super Nintendo, the nominees were The Addams Family, Roadrunner's Death Valley Rally, The Legend of Zelda, uh, Link to the Past, Soul Blazer and Super Star Wars. You know, and I think we discussed this uh, two issues ago when we were talking about the nominees, but I... You know, we were kind of pitching, you know, like maybe something like Out of This World or Axley maybe would have been better nominees than things like Adam's Family or Roadrunner. But, right. But somehow Roadrunner uh, was the second runner up here. Uh, first runner up was Star Wars. Which I, I get that. That's a nice looking game, even though it's way too hard. Uh, Zelda ended up taking it. I don't know. I'm, I might have put Soul Blazer over Super Star Wars personally. I would, too. Yeah. Um, but, you know. Uh, Super Star Wars, it, it did use the Mode 7 in places. Just just to recap really briefly, the Nesters were a uh, a, a write-in vote award. Uh, basically, they put out nominees, and people could write in with their their choices for which would win. It basically would have been that month's Players Poll Contest was the, the, the voting process. So this is all decided by the readership of Nintendo Power here. That's right. Power to the players. They, they, they really deserved that... Uh, that moniker more than GameStop did. God, seriously. So next up, we've got theme and fun. The nominees are Legend of Zelda, Mario Paint, Bart's Nightmare, Street Fighter 2 and Super Star Wars. Uh, Bart's Nightmare should not have been in there because here's the thing. No, if the category was theme or fun, I could see you putting Bart's Nightmare in there. But because there's an and there, it's implied that you need to have both. And Bart's Nightmare is not fun. So no, it is not. I could probably think of like many, like honestly, like the Adams Family from the other category would have been a better nominee for this one. Luckily, Bart's Nightmare did not make it in the top three. Uh, Mario Paint was second runner up. Zelda was the first runner up and Street Fighter 2 took it. I can't argue too much with those results. What do you, how do you feel about it? I think Street Fighter 2 is going to win a lot of these awards. So next category is uh, Challenge, and the nominees were The Addams Family, Zelda, Space Megaforce, Super Smash TV, and Star Wars. Uh, Super Smash TV was the second runner-up. The first runner-up was Super Star Wars, and the winner was The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past. So it's kind of a strange category, I think. I think that... Putting Super Smash TV on here suggests that somebody was thinking about this category in terms of just, like, raw difficulty. I, I don't think that you can give The Legend of Zelda Link to the Past the the award for number one here if that is the way you're thinking about this. I would have put Sp Space Megaforce as my second, as my first or second runner-up, personally. I think, like, some kind of discussion as to, like, how they got to these nominations would have been an interesting article because, yeah, I don't think that everybody was maybe on the same page as to, like, what any of these mean. And again, you know, I don't know that, like, grouping graphics and sound into one category is a great idea either. No, no. But, yeah, like, you know, if, if we're just talking about, you know, like, like a fair but difficult challenge, I, I don't know if I would put Smash TV in there. Like, you know. I might put something like Axley or maybe Soul Blazer. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that from a certain definition of challenge, Zelda probably makes sense as a winner there. 
Uh, you know, it does make you think. It makes you explore, and it does have some like kind of manual dexterity challenge to it as well. Play control. We've got uh, the nominees. Contra three. Actually, how did that one not end up in challenge? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we got Street Fighter two, Mario Kart. Actually, sorry, that would have been Super Mario Kart, uh, Super Star Wars, and. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 4, Turtles in Time. The winners. Uh, TMNT 4 was the second runner-up. Mario Kart was the first runner-up. And Street Fighter 2 was the winner. So that means uh, Street Fighter 2 have won in two of the four categories. And The Legend of Zelda Link to the Past have won two out of the four categories so far. Yeah. Also kind of interesting, I'm just going to briefly touch on the Game Boy stuff. Uh, Super Mario Land 2 Six Golden Coins has won three out of the four categories at this point with uh, Mega Man 2 taking challenge. I guess they decided that Mario uh, Super Mario Land 2 was not challenging enough for them. And uh, in the NES categories, uh, Mega Man 4 has won all but challenge, uh, which Dragon Warrior 4 ended up taking. Pretty one-sided matches in uh, in those two for those two systems. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, Super Mario Land 2, Six Gold Coins was a pretty big game for the Game Boy. I, I'm not sure what else there was to really stand against it around this time. Kirby's Dream Land is getting some runner-up places, but that game is not, especially compared to the NES game that we're going to be talking about later on in this issue, it's pretty pared back. Super Mario Land 2 is, is kind of in a class of its own at, at this point, I think. All right, so next up we've got Best Hero. So this is just a popularity contest. Which character do you like? Nominees are Chun-Li and Guile from Street Fighter, Darkwing Duck, Link from The Legend of Zelda, and Mega Man uh, from Mega Man, Mega Man's <laughs> multiples, I guess. The winners, uh, Guile was the second runner-up, uh, according to the article just beating out Chun-Li. Uh, Mega Man is the first runner-up, and Link is the winner. I don't know, maybe they should have just had a category just for best Street Fighter character for that year. I don't know. Uh, yeah, right? Uh, next up, we've got best villain. Uh, we've got Aghanim from Legend of Zelda, Dr. Wily from the Mega Mans, uh, Jafar, or uh, Evil Jafar, as he was described as in the nominees issue for some reason, M. Bison and Wario. Second runner-up was Dr. Wily, just taking it from Wario. Uh, Aghanim was number two, and M. Bison was number one. I am personally offended by the presence of Aghanim on this list instead of Wario. Uh, I think Wario should be in the not, in the top three here, and Aghanim is basically like an empty suit. Like, he is a... a you know, like he, he is the villain that, you know, the game wants to trick you to think is is in charge of everything before it is revealed that Ganon is is actually the bad guy. But, but I mean, like, in, in all fairness, like he is the villain of that game for most of that game. Right. Like he like as far as you're concerned. Yeah, I, gu I guess that's true. Yeah. I mean, you do fight him twice. So, you know, and maybe he got a little bit of a boost from the fact that they had that whole, you know, Legend of Zelda comic that ran throughout the issues. Oh, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, I guess he was probably a feature featured in that. So fair enough. Honestly, I, I think maybe like Wario should have taken it over Dr. Wily here, maybe. Um, yeah, I guess I can see that. Yeah. I mean, because Dr. Wily, he'd been in a bunch of games at this point and Wario was uh, was new and fresh. Oh, well, whatever. Wario's time will come. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. And uh, but still a very Street Fighter and Legend of Zelda dominated uh, uh, list here. Yes, it is true. But that will not continue with uh, most innovative nominees are Mario Kart, Mario Paint, NCAA Basketball, Out of This World and Super Faceball 2000. 
that shouldn't have even been in there. Nope. But <laughs> Out of This World was the second runner-up. Mario Kart was the, was the first, and Mario Paint was the winner. Again, I don't think I can complain with, with that lineup there. No, that's hard to argue with. Like, I think that makes total sense. I might have maybe tried making an argument for Out of This World going above Mario Kart, but, you know, it's, it's splitting hairs. All right, next up, least bad sports game. <laughs> yeah. uh, we've got Super Batter Up, NCAA Basketball, Madden 93, NHLPA 93, and Roger Clemens MVP. As is correct, um, baseball was left off this list entirely for the winners. Uh, NHLPA 93 was number, uh, uh, sorry, was uh, uh, second runner up. First runner up is Madden, and the winner is NCAA Basketball, which I think is correct. I think. NHLPA probably should have gone above Madden, but yeah, yeah, I would I would flip those certainly. But in the NCAA basketball is absolutely the right choice for for number one. Do we want to do like the best NES and best Game Boy, and then we'll do best Super NES? Yeah, sure, let's do it. So for best NES game, the nominees were Darkwing Duck, Dragon Warrior Four, The Empire Strikes Back, Krusty's Funhouse, Mega Man Four, uh, Spider Man Return of the Sinister Six. And TMNT 3, The Manhattan Project. Uh, and uh, The Manhattan Project is the second runner-up. First runner-up is Dragon Warrior 4. And the best NES game of 1993, according to Nintendo Power Readers, was another damn Mega Man game, Mega Man 4. Uh, it's a good game. I don't really think it's one of the best Mega Man games, but it's pretty good. This is an okay selection. Maybe actually put Darkwing Duck in here instead of TMNT 3. Just because it's fine, but it's kind of just like a retread of the the previous game. All right. Game Boy. The uh, nominees are Batman Return of the Joker. A lot of, a lot of bad guys returning. Bionic Commando, Kirby's Dream Land, Looney Tunes, Mega Man 2, Prince of Persia, and Super Mario Land 2, Six Golden Coins. I can't imagine who could be the winner. Um, <laughs> Mysterious, yes. A Kirby's Dream Land is the second runner-up. Mega Man 2 is the first runner-up. And, oh, hey, what do you know? It's Super Mario Land 2, Six Golden Coins is the winner. I mean, honestly, like, I, I'm looking at this list. I'm not too familiar with all these games, but, like, I mean, come on. Was it going to be any other uh, than these three? Is there a Looney Tunes Game Boy game that is actually worthy of that much praise? I... I'm hard-pressed to think that there could be. All right, and finally, we come to best Super NES game. The nominees are Contra 3, The Legend of Zelda, Link to the Past, Mario Paint, Street Fighter 2, Super Mario Kart, Super Star Wars, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 4, Turtles in Time, which I think we should have seen on a few more lists honestly but. i agree with that yeah this is actually you know like a pretty good competition here other than contra 3 which honestly I, I don't think really stands up against the rest of these but i don't know that's just my opinion so the second runner-up is super mario kart the first runner-up is the legend of zelda link to the past so you probably could have guessed then that the winner is street fighter 2 I mean, it was the hot game of the moment. Uh, it created, it effectively created a new genre that everybody wanted to play, and was represented like surprisingly faithfully on the Super Nintendo. Yeah, and the Super Nintendo version of it is extremely well done. Fair play. I can't really argue with it. All right, well, folks, that's the Nesters. Um, I'm gonna get out of this damn tuxedo now. Uh Last 
classified information, tips for RPM racing. Don't play it. That's my tip for RPM racing. <laughs> yep. That's really the only tip anyone needs. Uh, we got some Star Fox hints, secret twin blasters, whatnot, secret warps. Yes, that's a that's a good one. I like them pointing that out to people who might not be aware that that's a thing. Uh, we got a, a Super Buster Brothers stage select kind of buried down there. I didn't even see that. That's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, hey, we got some more Star Wars stuff. We've we've had a lot of Super Star Wars stuff. I guess yeah, folks really liked that game. Yeah, we got some some Bomberman too. We got some Kid Clown. Good old Kid Clown. And then, folks, it's back. The Star Fox comic Act Four. Yeah, the legacy. Um, I really really liked this this particular episode of the uh, the Star Fox comic. Yeah, this was really good. We felt the last one was a bit lackluster, but this is a nice return to form here. Uh, Previously on Star Fox. Some stuff happened. There was a montage of the Star Fox team blowing things up. And then they were like, hey, how are we going to get to Andros? And Fox is all like, how about we go through the black hole? And we pick up with General Pepper saying, uh, no, we ain't going to do that. Yeah, no. And Fox is all like, uh, yeah, I am. And all the rest of the team is like, no, no, you're not. And Fox is also mad because everyone's calling him Junior. We got a really great uh, uh, panel here of Fox just screaming at everybody. He's he's very upset. He really wants to go into that black hole. They're all telling him, hey, it's madness. Uh, also, a really nice big panel of like the, the R-Wing hangar that I, I quite like. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a really cool image. A um, bunch of robots and stuff working on the R-Wing, some technicians kind of putting it back together. So, you know, Fox is getting ready to take off. The rest of the Star Fox team shows up and Falco straight up punches Fox in the face and just knocks him out. Yeah, just cold lays him out. Fox just goes down again. You know, just some really great panels here. I like this panel of Fox with the, the yellow and green coloring. Falco is continuing to just just beat Fox senseless after he has knocked him out. The whole thing is that, like, they don't want Fox to take the R-Wing into the black hole because they're pretty sure it's going to kill him if he does that. So, like, in order to stop him, Falco decides to just punch him out. But then he just keeps punching him. uh, And they have to, like, stop him. Uh, Peppy and Farah stop Falco, I guess, from murdering Fox at this point. (laughs) And they put him into a uh, a solitary room to cool down. So they're going to lock him up for a bit. And at this point, we get sort of a flashback or a retelling of uh, not only Fox's origins, but, you know, kind of goes into his dad's past and, and, you know, what happened to him. And also a little bit of uh, Andros's origins as well. Right. So we, we saw a similar thing happen with the, the montage in the last issue. But I think this technique works much better here because we're we're getting a lot of story. You know, we're getting a lot of story kind of backfilled for us. And I think that, you know, this is just a better use of this technique um, of, of just kind of showing us a panel and dumping a lot of text next to it. But yes, we learned that, you know, uh, uh, Fox was kind of a cocky upstart. His dad was... His dad was like an ace pilot, yeah. His dad is not named James McLeod in this. No, they clearly came up with that later on. Uh, here he's just uh, Fox. The Fox we know is is Fox Jr. His dad was Fox Sr., I guess. But yeah, his dad was a uh, ace pilot. Uh, Fox himself was top 
uh, flyer at the Academy where he met Falco. And um, yeah, his dad agreed to fly a test uh, of a, a gravity bomb uh, out into space, but the bomb exploded and both killed Fox Sr. and created the black hole. The bomb, of course, was created by Andros, who was disgraced after this happened and exiled, uh, but now he has managed to return uh, with his powerful uh, force of lizard troops that he has built in exile. And that's why Fox is, is so buckwild about all this Andros stuff and the black hole. I kind of really like this backstory for Andros because I feel like in Star Fox games, it's always just been more or less just kind of a, oh, he was a brilliant scientist that went mad with power. Right. We're hearing the story from General Pepper, you know, and, and he describes Andros as being mad. But I'm almost choosing to hear this as like that's Pepper's justification for exiling the scientist because his weapon you know, kind of backfired. They were scared of him at this point and maybe just felt he was too powerful or needed somebody to blame. <laughs> right. Yeah. I kind of like this idea of like, they sort of forced this exile on Andros with maybe without really good reason to do it. And that makes Andros's madness like a lot more understandable. And, and it just makes him a much yes. better character. It, you know, like I, I could see, like, I don't know if that's really what they were going for here, but I could see that being the subtext, and I think it makes the story a lot better. I agree, yeah. The other thing I like here is that they do offer an explanation for why they wanted this group of kind of scuzzy outlaws to come and fly these awesome planes for Corneria, which is that Fox was actually already a great pilot who was sort of like himself living in exile with his friends because he tried to, you know, speak up against the threat of Andros and was, was sort of like driven out uh, and forced to, to, you know, kind of go underground on this this sort of remote planet. So I like that. I like that it wasn't just like, we want these guys to be cool outlaws, but also we want them to, for some reason, be the only people who can fly these super jets. Yeah, I think they're doing some cool stuff with the story that, you know, like if, if given more time and, and more magazine real estate, you know, they could have done some really cool things with, you know, like maybe exploring the idea that Andros is just sort of on a quest for revenge, uh, you know, against the people who... Yeah, the people who kind of left him holding the bill, yeah. Yeah, for making him the scapegoat in a way. And, you know, like, I think that could have been a cool thing. If, like, you know, like, what if there was, like, this moment between Fox and Andros where Andros is like, look, I really didn't mean to kill your dad. Like, I was simply doing what they asked me to do, you know, went off early. It wasn't supposed to do that. You know, like, there, there could have been some really interesting character stuff there. But, you know, I mean, because this is, you know, a video game, it's it's got to be pretty, you know, black and white. You're the good guy. You shoot the bad guy. So right, then, right. you know, we, we end this sequence with a wonderful little joke here where uh, Farah asks, why didn't you help Fox? And he says, I was only a sergeant then making him Sergeant Pepper. And it shows a photo of him with some other folks. It looks exactly like the cover image of the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club album. Yep, and it's a very cute little little joke there. It's a very it's a very small panel, really, so it's kind of subtle, you know. And I, I wonder like how many kids would have gotten that back then. But it, it's a it's a very funny joke. I, I really appreciate that. 
Um, so here's where this story starts falling apart for me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. They stopped Fox from wanting to go into the black hole to the point where Falco, you know, almost beats him within an inch of his life, I would think. And then they're immediately like, OK, but can we actually go through the black hole? Right. And again, like up to this point, it's still like, OK, Fox just wanted to go just, you know, like half cocked into the black hole, you know, regardless of, you know, the consequences or anything or the potential risks. So they had to stop him. OK, fine. They're talking about like, but but could we do that if we if we modify some things on the R wings? Yeah, maybe we could do that. You know, Slippy's talking about how like, yeah, we, we might be able to do it if I, you know, in, in techno babble, techno babble. And now we hear or we see Farah kind of like listening in on their conversation, eavesdropping. But, you know, she, she's not seen by the rest of the team. And then she's going to go break Fox out. Now, like the whole thing is like they were worried Fox was going to go try to go through the black hole. But now she's going to help him go through the black hole, even though she was just trying to stop it. Like, I, I don't know. This this doesn't make much sense to me. But the idea that you need a really skilled pilot to do this. So, of course, Fox would be the the best one to do it. Um, so basically, we've just like flipped the roles of Falco and Fox here over the course of like a couple of pages. Yeah. Where now it's up to Fox to save Falco uh, from from dying in the black hole by taking his spot it's like this is just the same thing you just did um and you know she breaks fox out fox you know throws falco out of the r-wing and gets inside himself right and then he takes off and farah also takes off and they're both gonna go into the black hole yeah because i'm guessing like the problem wasn't that they didn't think Fox was a good enough pilot, but they thought Falco was. I thought the whole problem was that, you know, they were worried about either, you know, like the ship not being able to handle it. Yeah. Or Fox's, you know, mental state dealing with Andros and everything. Like in like one panel, you know, Slippy has used his sonic screwdriver, I guess, to, uh huh, as he says, triple the output, I guess, of, of the gravity diffuser. So, yeah, at that point, like they've they've done what they wanted to do. They prevented Fox from going into the black hole without doing whatever they needed to do to the G diffuser. Now they've done that. I don't understand why they weren't just going to go get Fox to go fly. But no. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's I am kind of glad that Farah goes with them because it gives her something to do. And after she kind of got yeah. benched in the last issue, I'm, I'm happy to see her having a more active role. But yeah, this part of the comic doesn't really make sense to me. And that's the cliffhanger we end on, uh, which is the two of them going off to go into the black hole, I guess. Yeah. Whoa. Are we talking about cliffhanger again? Oh, and that's uh, that's the end of the comic for this issue. Uh, I'm curious to see. What, I'm more on board with the comic now than I was at the end of the last one, for sure, even with that kind of weird ending here. My concern at this point is because they've got Fox and Farah going out together, obviously the final confrontation is going to have to be the four Team Star Fox people against Andros. You think she's going to get captured or... Yeah, I'm worried that's where they're going with this. I hope they don't. Yeah, me too. Uh, we will see, though. Uh, in any case, now we turn the page. We are talking about The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening for Game Boy, which uh, is a game that... Uh, has been remade a couple of times now uh, since this version came out. Uh, it's a yes. very good game from what I hear. I've never played it. Yeah, it is. It's um, it, it was the first 2D Zelda game I really spent much time with. And uh, yeah, I like it a lot. It's a good one uh, and an amazing achievement for the Game Boy. 
uh, for sure, because it really does take so much of what was good about the uh, A Link to the Past and, and shrink it down to work on the Game Boy. This is not the full feature spread on that game here, because it's still a little ways away. But they introduce the world, they introduce the basic concept, and a bunch of the characters. And yeah, they really are just trying to give you a sense that this is the next full real Zelda game here. And it's coming to the Game Boy. And, uh, and yeah, we get a lot of good concept art, some good, you know, very good, you know, like official Nintendo art of all the characters and this cool action scene of, of Link attacking a skeleton. And yeah, uh, good, good stuff here. There will be a bigger spread on this later on, um, you know, in, a, in another issue when the game actually releases. But yeah, it's a good, this is a good intro. And I, I think it, it probably did a really good job to get people hyped for this game. Definitely, yeah. I think this one's going to have a cover at some point on, on Nintendo Power. So. Oh, I'm, I'm pretty sure it is, yeah. Okay, so next up, we've got this guy again. Zen, the intergalactic ninja. Yep. We've... We've talked about this guy before. Uh, I think he had an NES game, right? We didn't play it. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, a ninja. He's blue, uh, no shirts, fighting pollution. Yeah, at least that's what it seems like he's doing. So I got the Wikipedia article pulled up on this guy because there, there isn't a lot of information about him because I'm just like, who is this character? Why is Konami really trying to make this a thing? So, yeah, he was a comic book character that was created um, in 1987 for a... Um, bespoke comics publisher, I guess. There was a Zen Comics um, publishing, but uh, they switched it over to Archie Comics in the 90s at some point, so he might have already been under the the Archie Comics uh, publishing umbrella by this point. I'm not sure, but apparently they, they did try to uh, kind of resurrect the brand. Some, some company called Devil's Do tried to make a, a new Zen the Intergalactic Ninja book in 2008, but I guess the original, they, they couldn't reach a deal with the original creators, so they uh, just dropped it. I guess they went with someone else um, a little bit later, but hadn't found a whole lot of stuff on Zen the Intergalactic Ninja. I, cannot, I, I don't know where he resides now, if he does. Um, I did see that Devil's Due Comics has an Alexandria... Ocasio-Cortez comic line. Okay, that's interesting. It, it seems like they're propping her up as the hero, so I'm going to okay. say that it's probably good, but I, I don't actually know for sure. Um, so Zen is here. He is on the Game Boy now, and he is going to fight various polluters that are kind of... They, they kind of just seem like Captain Planet villains to me. <laughs> yeah, they do, which is weird because like the, the Wikipedia article doesn't talk about like this being an environmental comic specifically, or at least I didn't see anything about that. That's so strange. If, that, if this is just a thing for these games, then that's very strange. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of like environmental-related cartoon heroes in around this time but yeah again always just sort of posing the problem is like oh well there's just these folks who just like polluting so much and right aren't actually you know talking about the systems that produce pollution and how it's a systemic issue and but yeah so so zen he's gonna fight these villains in various themed areas there's a smog area an oil area 
a dust area. Final area that he's going to fight somebody in is just the final area. And that's where Lord Contaminus, (laughs) the evildoer who has kidnapped Jeremy the Star Child and is going to ransom him for the Geocrystal resides. I want to read this comic now. Jeremy the Star Child. It's Star Child with an E on the end, so it's like Star Child. Uh. Jeremy Star Child. Yeah. And <laughs> these levels all look very vertical. I guess this is this game's whole deal is that these are like vertically scrolling levels for the most part. So that's kind of an unusual twist. But hey, if you wanted to know more about Zen, the uh the intergalactic ninja, he is a Baltunian. He doesn't have a mouth or ears, or really um, many facial features at all. He talks to people telepathically, and he can hear them when they talk at him through the sound waves and, I guess, picking up on their thoughts, kind of. Um, He can also disintegrate matter with his mind in order to eat things, because he doesn't have a mouth. Okay. They do not talk about how he uh, poops, which is probably for the best. I have an important question. Yes. Is, is Zen a Pepsi man? Is that just who he is? Is a Pepsi man decided to fight against pollution instead of for it? Well, I, I think a better question is, is Pepsi man a uh, Baltunian? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. Is he also from the planet of Baltoon? I need to know the deep lore that connects Pepsi man and Zen the Intergalactic Ninja. Has anyone ever seen them in the same room together? That's what I want to know now. I certainly haven't. Uh, uh, Stay woke, people. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, uh, let's talk about Ring Rage next. Um, Yeah, Ring Rage. Um, That's a pretty unfortunate name, I gotta say. I don't love Ring Rage as a name for anything. I don't know. Is there anything to say about these other than, like, they've got very Nintendo-powery drawings of these characters, and it's probably the most lovingly detailed they've ever been drawn by anybody and ever will be? I'm pretty sure that no one has ever drawn uh, Gunboat Rhodey as well as as, as they have here. I don't have much to say about this. It is a wrestling game for the Game Boy. It's It's a wrestling match that allows boxers and ninjas into yeah the ring that's right also a character named shadow which i'm just going to assume is like some heavy set redneck doing a saddam hussein impression it yeah <laughs> that seems right i love the the crowd that we see in the the bottom right hand corner of the screen who is like uh this all in one blue toned image of a crowd scene from the back that just says woohoo over it they're very excited about this and uh you know good for them uh we've also got um karate fighter yash shredder he just yeah he's just got a shredder mask on it's like a guy shirtless guy with the shredder mask on and uh yeah i hope you can see out of that it seems like it would be hard to do a wrestling match that way well, I mean, I guess, you know, if you just have, like, ninja throwing stars or something and you just stab your opponent really quick, it could actually be a very easy wrestling match. The easiest re- wrestling match. That's true. Folks, going through some of these Game Boy games, it's it's just a real slog. We're, we're grasping at straws here. So let's go on to another one, which is yeah. Great Greed, a game I've never heard of. Great Greed. Oh, that's what I should have opened this episode with. Great Greed. Maybe I can remember to splice that in later. This is another environmentally themed game, it seems. It is. Yeah, and this one's an RPG, 
they're kind of trying to gas this one up like it's really special, but I don't know about it. Uh, I don't know. This doesn't look great to me, honestly. I mean, did you read the description at all? It's just like, hey, here's a regular guy in the regular world. And what's this? Uh Oh, he just fell into Dungeons and Dragons world. Yep. Uh, But it's a Dungeons and Dragons world that is being taken over by an evil pollution monster called Biohaz. He's kidnapped. He's kidnapped Jeremy, the star child. God, Jeremy, (laughs) just stay home. Also, the locations in this place are the nation of sushi and the nation of chow mein. I think there might be some problematic stuff going on in the localization here. Oh, you need to get to the nation of chow mein? Well, just go that way. If if you reach the nation of chicken tiki masala, you've gone too far. Let's look at this one paragraph here about the nation of chow mein. Yes. <laughs> I'm quoting now. If you decide to look for the missing Dr. Bromide, your search will lead you to the town of Tuna. <laughs> You need to change the laws in Tuna before you can enter the shops or the jail. Later, before you can enter the dragon jail to save the doctor, you will need to get the golden pepper from the town of Kimchi in the West. This is like some like um, Princess Tomato and the Salad Kingdom stuff, but like not as whimsical or as fun. No, like the game looks completely completely serious in in like the stuff that you're actually doing it's just like all the names are are this they do try to mention that there's sort of like a more actiony element to the fighting system here each direction on the control pad does a different action for you which is kind of a i guess kind of a neat idea and yeah i don't really have a great sense of how this game plays even so but i'm a little i'm a little intrigued by it I'm not sure at all about the way they have localized this game. I want to play this. I I just, I have to see what this is. I've never heard of this Game Boy game before, despite the fact that, I mean, again, I subscribed to Nintendo Power, so I definitely did pass by this page, probably immediately turned to the page when I saw what it was, like, oh, a Game Boy RPG, that's not my thing at all. But, like, I'm not aware of this game at all until, you know, looking at this issue for this episode of the podcast... Yeah, like, what could this pop? Like, mm, I don't know. I don't know either. But I am I am intrigued, for sure. Anyway, we got Counselor's Corner. We got Prince of Persia. We've got somehow more freaking Equinox questions, a game that still won't be out for the better part of another year. Who is asking the Equinox questions? Yeah, how are people getting this game in order to ask these questions? And, like, I, I looked it up just to make sure, like, okay, did this game come out earlier and all of the, the lists I've got are just wrong. But no, like, apparently it is a well-known fact that this game had some pretty significant problems in development, even though, like, this was one of the first non-Japanese companies. Uh, this was a, a team in, in the UK, I think, that was working on this game. They had issues with different versions of the SNES hardware across different regions. And that was what was keeping this game from getting released in most places. I mean, like, I I, th- I think the earliest it came out was in Japan in 1993. So, it, like, it still wasn't even out in Japan yet. Weird. It's like it's existing in an alternate reality here where this game is out and people are having problems getting through it. Yeah, the, the only thing I can think is that, like, they kept submitting it to Nintendo of America and maybe Nintendo of Japan as well. And, like, people kept finding bugs and, like, no, these are still broken. You have to fix them. But, 
Like somehow this was still trickling down to Nintendo power to the point where they thought like, hey, maybe people are going to have these questions that they wouldn't need answered. And I don't know. It's it, it's really weird. I'm excited to actually play that game whenever it finally comes out. Yeah, I, I think March of 94 is what I read, but uh, we'll see. Save the date. Folks, we were talking about the Super Mario Brothers movie over here. Yes, yes we are. Oh, goodness. Which is timely because a new version of this movie has just been released on the internet. That's right! Yes! With deleted scenes added to the film. Yeah, like 20 minutes of deleted scenes were found and reintegrated back into the movie by some very devoted fans of it. Uh, I'm curious. I kind of want to watch that just to see, just to see what it does to it. Yeah, I I want to see that too. And uh, you know, if if we had done that Super Mario Brothers episode with catching up on cinema a few months after the fact, I wouldn't have had to buy that damn DVD. <laughs> That's the real tragedy here: is that you actually had to spend money to watch this thing again. Because now it's just on the internet, but uh, no, no, that's, it's okay, though. I I don't, I am not unhappy that I own this movie. It's fine. They're trying hard to present this movie in the best light in this magazine here. Yeah, just so many staged photos on that set. (laughs) The best one is the one of John Leguizamo playing Super Mario World. Yeah, the one with, um, uh, oh God, who's the actress who plays Daisy? Samantha Mathis. Yes, Samantha Mathis. um, With her, like, smiling in the background and the TV turned towards the camera, not turned towards John Leguizamo. Yeah, like, why would he be playing it from that angle? Like, just in the middle of the set, too. They brought in a Super Nintendo on one of those big like plastic carts that you use to like move product around on and they borrowed it from craft services for this shot (laughs) right yeah he's got the title screen actually the title screen of super mario world on there so it's not even like a shot of like the interior actually this is a funny thing i just noticed everyone in all of these shots of of people just like you know, in downtime of the movie, all have them place playing some kind of Nintendo item, I think. Uh, with the exception of the big group shot and the one where Dennis Hopper is posed with uh, Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo. Uh, they even got the guy in the, like, Goomba suit playing a Game Boy here. That w- that's a decision. Like, it's, it's just very funny, because, like, over and over in this thing, they have to keep being, like... So this isn't much like the Mario games, but you're gonna like it. It's gonna be cool. Uh, they built all the sets inside a cement, a, a decommissioned cement factory, just like Mario's cement factory, <laughs> the old Game Boy or Game and Watch <laughs> game. Isn't that cool, folks? They're really reaching, and like, yeah, like they've got this picture of. Uh, Bob and John playing Game Boy. It looks like they've got their Game Boys linked together. Yep. And they're both like smiling. They're both wearing sunglasses here. And I'm thinking like, okay, they are both drunk. They were just handed these Game Boys like, hey, can you pretend you're happy right now? (laughs) Yeah. You're actors, right? You can pretend that you're not miserable on this set, right? I mean, I will say like there's some cool looks at the animatronics. I do think that stuff is pretty neat. I do like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the actually the shot I mentioned before of the guy Uh, in the Goomba costume. It's cool because it's like he's just got, like, a rig on with the Goomba head above him. Yeah. And he's just sitting in a chair. That's neat. I like seeing that stuff. Yeah, it is neat. I think it's it's a bit much that they, you know, made this poor put-upon puppeteer, basically. (laughs) Just, like... 
Hey, can you can you also pose in one of our advertisements uh-huh. for a kids magazine? Realistically, he probably couldn't even see the Game Boy screen in that light. Like, yeah, just take a picture of him. It's fine. Yeah, there's also a pretty uh, extensive description of the plot of the movie here. I would say probably yeah. I, if I had to guess, probably the most extensive description of this movie's actual storyline. In, in any magazine that existed at this point, including up to it basically it describes point by point the plot of the movie up to the point where uh, Spike and Iggy get, get get their brains evolved so that they can track down Mario better, which is like halfway through the movies. Oh, this, this thing is weird. I, I've already uh, reached out to, to Trevor. Uh, I do not think he's interested in uh, doing another episode of catching up on cinema on the uh, new version of the movie. Oh, that's too bad. That's too yeah. bad. Um, <laughs> folks, if you are interested in listening to us talk with the folks at Catching Up on Cinema for a very long time about this movie, uh, I will I will try to remember to put a link to that in the show notes or somewhere uh, related to this episode. Go, go listen to that episode. Go listen to that show in general. It's a good show. And we were on an episode of it talking about the Mario movies. But, uh, hey, Kirby's Adventure on the NES is next. Kirby's Adventure. I think if they weren't so interested in promoting the Super Nintendo right now, this to me feels like the other game in this issue that could have been a, a cover game. It's a big game. It's a Nintendo game. It is a really good game that was part of a series that Nintendo was sort of just uh, just starting up now. And it's a very extensive feature about it in the magazine here. We are still going to have original Nintendo games coming out another year, I think, at least. I, I feel like Mega Man 6 is like the last really notable Nintendo game that I can think of. And we're still a ways away from that, for sure. So, and I guess also Star Tropics Two is a really late one for the Super Nintendo, or for for the for the NES rather. For the yeah, those two, and the, I think Wario's Woods might have actually been the last one. So yeah, we're we still got a ways to go on the the NES. And Kirby's Adventure is a neat game. I, I spent a lot of time with this when I was a kid, and I was a big fan of it. And yeah, they they go through a lot of different parts of this game here in in the magazine. One thing that's really uh, this notable is that if you haven't played the original Kirby's Dream Land, Kirby's Dream Land does not have the power, uh, he does not have the power to suck in enemies and take their powers. That was new for this game here. So they spend some time talking about that because that's sort of the big new feature. They go through a bunch of this game here. They go through whole levels of it. Uh, they don't do kind of breakdowns of every single stage in these levels, but they do point out a bunch of different cool bits of them. They talk about the mini games. There's some good art here. Uh, some really nice, you know, fun art. I really like the one of Kirby kind of caught between two mini bosses and going like, oh, oh no. Yeah, I like that too. Uh, he's not as pink here as he would get later on. He's kind of a very light pink. He hadn't quite gone full pink by this mm, point. Yeah. Once you go full pink, you, you don't go back from that. So, yeah. Is this the game that they had that really weird Kirby commercial? Like, they're comparing Kirby to, like, this weird buff Rambo-looking cartoon character? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> that was a weird commercial. If I can find that one, I'll uh, put the, the audio in in here. But but you really need to watch that commercial. The, the audio won't quite do it justice. <laughs> To, to a 
real heavy hitter here. <laughs> no pun intended. The Crash Dummies. Got some Crash Dummies. They're in an NES game at this point. They will be in a Super NES game eventually. Can I just say, I think it's weird that like these characters that they made for PSAs got commodified in the way they did. <laughs> I agree, especially since this game seems to have absolutely nothing to do with car safety. Nope. <laughs> There's, a, I guess, a whole little universe of the crash, crash test dummies here. Uh, they have names. They have a villain. Uh, several of them have been captured in this game, so two of them have to go and like save them. Uh, Spin and Slick. Those are the names of the ones you actually play as in this NES game. I think this is based on like the, the toy line, because they had a toy line with all these characters, and they tried to do, like, a CG animated cartoon. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, in very 90s CG, and I don't think it made it past the pilot. Like, I remember them airing the pilot on Fox Kids Saturday morning one day, but I don't think it was ever, like, more than that one episode. I mean, look, these are not appealing characters. Like, they are actually a fun concept for a toy, because you can have all their parts fall off. At least the Super Nintendo game makes a lot of use of that, actually. I don't think this one does, from what I can tell. Yeah, I'm not sure, because I know in the Super Nintendo, like, every time you get hit, you lose a limb. I will say that yeah, I, I had a couple of those toys back in the day where you just push buttons on their chest, and yeah, their limbs would fly off. I believe it makes it uh, a lot of fun for uh, collectors now to try and track down all those things, because, of course, they're all missing pieces. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, fun toys. I don't think these were really cut out to be, like, a media property, though, with a cartoon. I mean, especially a, a, a CG cartoon in, in the early 90s. Like, that just wasn't going to happen. Folks, you ought to go track that down on YouTube. Watch that. That's that's a trip right there. And this game does not look great. These levels look like a freaking nightmare. I mean, I do not think that that, that Crash Jimmy's game on the SNES is any fun. I don't know why the NES version would be. So moving on, we got some Super Turrican on the original Nintendo, uh, which, again, another thing we will be seeing on the Super Nintendo before too long. And, you know, just going off these screenshots, pretty impressive graphics for an original Nintendo game. Yeah, uh, they do the thing here where they, they talk about you know, the various power-ups, they give you some maps of levels, and they kind of just try to, like, introduce you to the basic philosophy of what playing this game is going to be like. You know, things like, roll up into a ball and you can't get hurt. Or your blaster starts off pretty weak, but power it up and it's really strong. I do feel a little bad for the Nintendo Power writers at this point, because even for... Uh, you know, an issue of this magazine. There are a lot of side-scrolling platformers in this issue. <laughs> and, like, at one point here, they're like, yeah, there are two ways to die. You can either get hit a bunch by enemies, or you can fall into an abyss. Yeah, you know, like like a like a side-scroller. You, you know. I'm sorry that you had to explain these, like, really basic gameplay mechanics so many times folks there's also a lot of art in this one for something that's kind of buried in the like the the back half of the magazine yeah there is a lot of art yeah and it has that kind of airbrush look that makes me think this is all original uh nintendo power art yeah you know i think that there's just a, a nintendo power artist who does that brushed metal look real well so anytime it's just like oh hey we got one of these so it's like all right i guess i'm gonna get to work then I really like this art at the bottom of, like, the last page of the spread uh, that's got, like, a... It's, like, it goes over both pages of the magazine. It's got, like, Turrican, like, crouching down, shooting at these, uh, like, flying robot things. And everything's metal. 
everything's made of 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 you know kind of stylized metal it's a whole scene like complete with backgrounds and everything it's it's yeah it's quite good and then uh moving on from there we've got um players poll contest you can win a, a jet ski i'm sure that's a great thing to give a kid a jet ski absolutely um you also get uh jet ski gloves and jet ski boots which i wouldn't have thought were a thing and also Kawasaki Caribbean challenge for the super NES, which uh, <laughs> not looking forward to that one. Can't say I am, but Hey, we'll get to it. Uh, one thing I would have been looking forward to if I had tried to enter this contest back in the day would be one of those sweet windbreaker jackets with the pink and dark blue. Oh, heck yeah. Th- those are almost as good as the uh, David Crane's Amazing tennis, yeah, definitely. It's got that look. I'm a sucker for, you know, like a, a good 80s, 90s neon pink windbreaker jacket, all right? That's just, you know, I got to get me one of those. I got to track one down. I'm just going to go on eBay, Kawasaki windbreaker, see what comes up. Pay $300 for a vintage jacket. Yeah. Uh, anyway, then we move on to our top 20. We are getting to the the end of the magazine now. Though somehow we still have like 20 pages. God, this feels like a long one. It kind of does. Not a lot of changes in the top 20 here, uh, I don't think. Anything super stand out to you? Or? Uh, not really. They do point out here that even though it's not out, The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening is on the top 20 for the Game Boy ones, just because people are so excited about it. Which that doesn't really seem like the way that should work, but okay. They give you a list of games, so that must have been on that list unless people were just writing them in. They probably just put it on the list, but yeah, I don't know. That's going to take us to now playing. We got Batman Returns and the Lost Vikings, which we we talked about pretty recently. We've got Shadowrun, which I'm guessing is going to be coming up. I think it's coming up pretty soon, yeah. Yeah, so that'll be fun. Probably. I mean, I hope it'll be fun. I don't know if I'm if, if I'm going to be able to wrap my head around this one, because I'm, I'm typically not big into like the, the pen and paper RPG kind of games. We'll see what it's like. I hope the mechanics aren't too creaky for for, you know, uh, us playing it for the first time in 2021. <laughs> but we'll see. Definitely looks unique. I'll say that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Kendo Rage. Yes. Kendo Rage kind of reminds me of Super Valus 4. Probably because it's one of the few games with a lady protagonist. Right, yeah. So hopefully it's good. Uh, I don't know anything about that one, so we'll see. Um, I can tell you that it looks like we won't be doing that one until October of 93. Okay. Ways away, then. Uh, we got NFL football, which I I don't think we've done football yet for this year. I think we said... We have not done football yet for this year, so that one is still to come. Yeah, we got... Oh, There's a lot of football games that we're going to have to play. That'll be an episode right there. We got the Blues Brothers. Yeah, which they mention here is like a really old license, so it's pretty much just going to feel like a non-licensed game to you if you play it. Not actually true if you are familiar with the Blues Brothers, but I think they were assuming that the readership for this magazine sort of wasn't. Yeah, um, so we'll be tackling that one in June of 93. Second SNL-based video game, I guess. I mean, nowhere to go but up, right? We got Tom and Jerry, which we just talked about last episode, so don't need to go into that. Football Fury, which again, it's uh, another one of those. Uh, Outlander, which we just talked about. Busyland, which I'm not too familiar with. Is that coming up? Like it's, It looks like it's basically just like a... Uh... Uh, a quick soul game. Oh, uh, Kakoma Knight in Busyland. 
is the full name of that game. That one is coming up in June. And it's pretty much just Quicks, from what I can tell here. Yeah, Quicks or Kicks, however that's supposed to be pronounced. Uh, Lethal Weapon, remember when we talked about that a long time ago? Yeah, there's one line here that I want to point out, which is complaining about how these characters do not at all look like the actors from the movie. Murtaugh, Mel Gibson, looks more like a fat, mean elf, and the same is true of Riggs. It's like, well, you know... Maybe not fat, but Mel Gibson certainly is a very mean elf. So, yeah. We, we didn't know back then. Yeah, we talked about that a while ago, though. Yeah. Pretty far in the rearview mirror. Yeah. Uh, we got Kirby's Adventure on NES, Pro Sport Hockey. Hit the ice for the NES. I didn't realize a, an NES version of that came out. They did that, yeah. We got the Super Turrican, Incredible Crash Dummies, Zen Intergalactic Ninja, and Great greed what do they have to say about great greed well it, it sounds uh actually like a very like 2000s sort of game here because they do talk about how moral dilemmas must be considered and your choices will come into play later in the game possibly to haunt you got some pet the puppy or kill the puppy stuff going on here toxic monster will remember that that's right yes <laughs> oh no i just want to play that even more oh we got morality systems in my weird game boy rpg it sounds like a hell of a thing And then we go to Pack Watch. We're, we're looking out on that horizon. And what we see here is, well, we see Final Fight 2, which is coming up soon. If they remembered the co-op this time, it should be great. It should be great. I think they did. Looking at the the, spread, the art here, it looks like that one does have the co-op. So fingers crossed it'll right the wrongs of the past. Uh, Alien 3, which they seem very excited about. Uh, they said it was one of the most promising games in early development at last winter's CES. It might be all right. I could see that being okay. They also slip in a little note here about Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which I guess is also coming. Cannot be worse than original Terminator, I say now. Hopefully I will not be proven wrong. I would hope not. But then we've got uh, Rocky Rodent, uh, which sounds like a horrible ice cream flavor. Mm, yeah. Uh, not to be confused with Pocky and Rocky, but uh, that one will be hitting in September of 93, according to my list. So we will be talking about that in due time. We got Obitus, which is one I'm not terribly familiar with. No, bulletproof software. Uh, looks like it is kind of like a, a first person dungeon crawler sort of thing. I'm trying to make sure that one actually comes out because uh, I don't see it on the list for 93. So this was a, it looks like it was a 1991 Amiga game. It does appear to have come out on the Super Nintendo, uh, September 94. So we got a long way to go for that one. Then we got uh, Run Saber and we got Troddlers. Oh, I hate that name. <laughs> Pretty sure both of those end up coming out. Uh, I think I recognize those names. I, d I don't know if they come out this year or not. Got Utopia. Uh, oh, Utopia, the creation of a nation by Jalico in September of 93. And then uh, some stuff for Game Boy featuring Speedy Gonzalez and Star Trek, Battletoads, Double Dragon teaming up on the NES, though I think we're going to get a version of that on the Super as well. We sure are. All sorts of stuff here, uh, you know, all sorts of screenshots. We got Plock, we got Sim Ant, we got something called Mountain Sports. I've uh, got, got WWF Royal Rumble. Got some kind of Pink Panther thing that looks like a glitchy mess from that screenshot, but... Yeah, that is not looking good to me, certainly. Just looks like animation frames for the sprite. Yeah, I don't know why they would put that in there, but okay. Maybe it'll maybe it'll make more sense seeing the game itself. 
Yep. And, uh, oh, God, Pac-Man 2. That'll be a thing. It sure will. Oh, that's a weird game. That's a real weird game. <laughs> They're being very vague about how that one actually plays in the magazine here. Yeah. Um, so it looks like in the next issue, we will be getting some Battletoads stuff. Uh, I'm guessing probably Battletoads and Battle Maniac, I think was the name of that game. And also some Tasmania. And that's it. That's pretty much the magazine here. This did feel like a pretty jam-packed one. This had a lot of stuff going on in it. Feels like we've been talking about this for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that closes the book on this one here. But what do we have to talk about in the first week of May 1993? Uh, well, hey, we were just asking, you know, like, could that Alien 3 game be any good? And I guess we're going to find out real, real fast because that's uh, first up on the list. Yeah. Alien 3 by uh, LJN. Uh-huh. Sure, that's great. We got Bubsy in Claws Encounter of the Third Kind. It's it's already here. Oh, boy. And then we got Congo's Caper. That's a selection there. Uh, I have no idea. I've never actually played any of those. So, you know, I, I guess we'll it'll be a voyage of discovery for all of us. Yeah, we hope you join us next time for that. And yeah, uh, do you have anything to leave the people with, Steampunk Link? If it don't bleed, it ain't lunch. Well, with that... Uh, I'm Emmy Zero. I'm Steve Bungling. Play it loud. Our intro outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoaxe, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty free at technoaxe.com. That's T E K N O A X E.com. Uh, we got uh, Ultima on Game Boy. We got Mega Man 5. Uh, Question here How do I beat the pink robot? Uh, just bring Yoshima in. Uh, she'll take care of it. That's the answer. So, yeah. I'm going to guess that's a reference I don't understand yeah the flaming lips album uh, yoshime versus the pink robots oh yeah i'm not familiar with that one okay i learned something today kicks or, or kicks uh miss nude world 90 97 <laughs> right oh boy we should we should do another video on that so that we'll get a thousand views again it'll once again be our all-time most popular video just because it has nude in the title we'll make it even more popular because i'll actually take a picture of myself making a surprised face for the thumbnail that's right yeah that that gets you an, a, a thousand views all on its own yep and I'll, I'll just have like in really big letters sexiest game ever <laughs> not what I thought. <laughs> uh, not clickbait. <laughs> not, not clickbait, yeah. In parentheses. <laughs> right.